Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to the German people for being real German. <laughs> I went to my first movie in Germany the other day, actually on my Gedeutschtag, and I was really surprised to learn that they have two price levels. So one is basically the seats right up front. You pay a little bit less for those, or you can pay a little bit more and get a seat in the middle or back. And first off, I was like, oh, we have assigned seating? Uh, okay. So the people I was with and I decided we want to, you know, splurge for the good seats in the back. And I'm thinking, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been in the front row of a movie theater in the U.S. and that is uncomfortable after a while. So good. We splurge, we go in, we find our designated seats. And... It's like a real small movie theater. This is like a small local Freiburg movie theater in general. And this specific theater, I think, is one of their smaller ones as well. By the time the movie goes to start, I think there's like maybe 10 people in the movie theater. And they all are sitting in their assigned spots. I was first off floored. I was like, okay, but like, couldn't we all just move around and it wouldn't be a big deal because like no one's here? And then second off, there were a couple people who paid less for the seats in the front. And they also stayed there. And I was like, dude, that's like a great way to save money. You get the ones in the front and then if no one's there, you go to the back. Yeah, that's super American of me. <laughs> but also I was like really confused because the seats in the front were not that close up. I mean, it was a small theater, as I said, and these seats were these huge, comfortable ones. And so even in the front rows, it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that dramatic. It wouldn't have been that painful to sit up there. So I'm just sort of confused why this is still the system because it seems like all of this seating, it's kind of egal. It's like, doesn't really matter where you sit. Uh, second off, God praise the Germans for following the rules, even when no one comes to check on them. It's actually really great. I really admire it. And I think it's actually one of those things I want to pick up from the Germans. I want to become a little bit more German in the rule following department. I'm a little too laissez-faire with following rules. <laughs> I think they're suggestions generally. <laughs> when they work for me, then great. And if not, then yeah, great. <laughs> I'll change it. I'll do something else. So to my German listeners, I'm not giving you too much of a hard time. I actually think it's a really great quality. I also do think it's funny. And that it deserves to be poked fun at now and again. <laughs> Today's episode has nothing to do with movie theaters, but it does have to do with cultural differences because we talked to Lindsay McLean. She is the host of the Expat Repat podcast. And for those of you who don't know, Expat is short for expatriation. So people who move from their country of birth somewhere else. There's also then the term repatriation when these people come back to their birth country. And that's exactly what Lindsay did. She's U.S. American and lived in Switzerland for several years and came back for really interesting reasons. She's been living back in the States for a couple years now, and she's really had the time to think that choice over in all of its different angles. And it was really fascinating to dive into this topic with her because, I mean, I don't know how it is for everyone else who lives abroad, but whenever I go home, I, I think about it. I'm like, ooh, could I move back? Like, how am I feeling about being back here? Is it good? Is it bad? What's What seems good now, but would actually be really challenging in the long run? All those things, I try to think it through. And Lindsay's lived it. So her podcast, the Expat Repot podcast, is all about this process, this this thing where expats move back home and have to adjust. And it's really, really good. I listen to it even though I'm not a repat. <laughs> so I definitely recommend that you check out her podcast. But first, let's hear what she's got to say on this episode of the Expat Cast.
My name is Lindsay McLean. I am, I guess I'm a bit of a third culture kid. I was born in Spokane, Washington, and ironically, I live here now. But growing up, we lived in Dublin for a while and Toronto. And then I mainly grew up in Portland, Oregon. So when I went to live abroad, that was where I left from. And then family and people had moved back to Spokane during the time that we were overseas. And so when we came back, we decided to come here because it was better with kids. Do you want to tell us about what went into your choice to move abroad as an adult? Oh, gosh, that is a good question. So (laughs) in college, I went and studied abroad. And college was kind of boring for me. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of directionless. And I was looking for some inspiration in life. And so when I went to study abroad, that was just like a shot in the arm. And I was so inspired by that whole experience. And it was super cool because I got to go back to Ireland for the first time since I was a little kid and see my school and even meet up with like childhood friends I had kept in touch with. So it was just this really magical experience when I went to study abroad in France. And I was taking French in school. That was because we had lived in Toronto. Um, I loved that we learned French in school there. I was the only kid who loved French class. Um, Yeah, so after returning back to campus from study abroad, I met my husband. And he had just gotten back from being abroad in Germany. He had studied in Tübingen. And then he actually ended up living in Freiburg for a while. Oh, no way. After that. Wow, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> so when I told him I was going to talk to you, he's like, oh, Freiburg. And I've been there a few times. It's so charming and lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So we met and we were both just like, we want to do whatever we can to move back to Europe. And so our joke became, well, we'll go to Switzerland because they speak French and German there. <laughs> so he, <laughs> had he learned German while studying there? Yes. So he had taken, you know, just like me, he had done German throughout high school. I had done French throughout high school. And I think both of us tested into 101 in college because high school languages are kind of just a joke in the U.S. They're a complete joke. Um, And so then he worked super hard at German and he's really, really fluent. I mean, my French is good and it's functional. But I can't like go to a dinner party in French and right. not get very confused and lost. And but he can. I mean, his German is really good. We had this joke about Switzerland. We're like, okay, we're gonna go there. And then yeah, so I I did end up going there. We'd been dating for a few years at that point, and so he was in Seattle working for a book publisher. I had come back to Spokane just to kind of regroup, and we were like, okay, what are we doing here? Then I ended up getting a job on the French speaking side of Switzerland. And so while I was so I was there for one year, it was kind of a weird situation and the job wasn't that great. But he came over and he proposed. And so we got married. We were in Portland and then we decided to go back again. And we went to Zurich that time. And did either of you guys have jobs lined up in Zurich? Yeah, we both did. We were teaching there. And so, yeah, that worked out really well. Did they give any support when you were moving over? They actually did. They were super helpful. They found us a little apartment that was in walking distance from the school and even kind of hooked up with an expat group online and found some secondhand furniture and stuff. And then they just sort of charged us a flat rate for that stuff. And gradually over the course of the year, we ended up getting rid of it all anyway. But it was a really great way to 
start out. Yeah, I think any level of support when you're making that kind of move is just such a relief because you don't feel so out there floating alone. It just mm-hmm. gives you this feel that there is someone trying to help out, whether or not, you know, the furniture that they gave you was, was the ones they're going to keep for forever or not. <laughs> exactly. And I, I'm kind of a risk averse person in a lot of ways, even though I'm quite adventurous. And so that made it just so much more comfortable for me too. Um, both of the times in Neuchâtel and in Zurich, I felt like I got a lot of support from the schools I was working at. So if, if I think if people are prepping for a move and their employer doesn't offer that, they just might not be thinking about it from their perspective. So I, I feel like it would be okay to ask because it's so much easier when you're on the ground and part of the culture to quickly organize things like that for somebody than it is for a foreigner arriving with no knowledge to try to do it all themselves. And how long were you in Zurich total? So we were there for four years and our daughter was born there like only 15 months or so after we arrived. That was kind of kind of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> we started our family there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of perks in terms of social support for um, health care and, and um parent leave and all that so in that sense it's a it's not the worst place to <laughs> to get going no it was definitely much better than starting our family in the U.S. and I think that we would have put it off a lot longer if we had stayed here especially in Portland Portland the show Portlandia is like not too far off the mark <sighs> and oh no <laughs> A lot of people in our friend group, most of them still don't have kids and were never really interested in growing up. And so we didn't feel like where we were trying to go in our life was going to be supported very well there anyway. So I'm glad we started our family in Switzerland. And I got like four months, I guess, of uh, paid leave at 80%, which is much better than the U.S., And then after that, we just made the conscious choice to figure it out and kind of be on more of a budget, do things on more of a shoestring so I could continue staying home. But other pieces of the culture were so supportive, like they have the mother and father advice, the Mutter und Vater Beratung. And you can go in your neighborhood community center every week and have your baby wait and talk to midwives and ask questions. And it's just amazing. And then everybody's trying to connect pregnant women with other pregnant women because (laughs) you need friends and you need support. And so even while you're pregnant, they're sending you off to this yoga class and come do this. And this group of moms speaks English and they're going out to lunch and you can join them. And the women I met there while I was pregnant are still like my nearest and dearest friends in the world. So it's pretty, pretty nice. So the next thing I was going to ask, you had these dreams of moving to Europe and you worked hard to get there, but how was it when you were actually there? How much did it align to what you were hoping it would be? You know, it was so wonderful. And I have spent so much time trying to figure out and unravel why we left because we were just totally set up. We lived in like, our ideal neighborhood. We had great friends. It was all just kind of ideal. You know, nothing is perfect in life, of course. And Zurich is extraordinarily expensive. And that was one really big issue. You know, it worked out fine financially until our daughter was two. But then it was like, okay, now we have another plane ticket. 
And then she was going to start preschool. And even though my husband was working in a school and would have gotten a good discount, we were still going to be paying some of it. And so it just started to become very, very stressful because we were living there. We were enjoying ourselves. But because I wasn't working, we weren't able to travel as much as we would have liked. So I think there's this piece in the American psyche, too, that like you're always supposed to be working to the next thing. And you're always supposed to be climbing and achieving greater success. And so I think we kind of felt like, oh, maybe we should be moving up in our teaching. But it didn't feel like there was really any room to move up there because we were not locals. And so it just didn't seem like a lot of those opportunities were open to us. We weren't in the international school system. We were in teaching in private Montessori schools. And so... Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was fantastic while we were there. We were in a really great position. So this is where I want to (laughs) dig in more then. So what did make you decide to move back after four years? Well, the pressure was really, really on from my mother. I was pregnant when we moved back with our second. And that was stressing me out a little bit because I was just like, how is this all going to work? And I think looking back, it's like, just take it as it comes, you know, like have the baby and you'll figure things out, you know, Mm -hmm. and if you need to make a change, then you will. But if you don't, then you won't. (laughs) (laughs) Easy, right? Yeah. (laughs) But I think I was just kind of in this frantic, anxious space where I was like, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to get to this point where we're just kind of stuck here and we can't move back? Like, I think that in my mind, I had adopted this truth in my mind that I wasn't really aware of. It was just like this assumed belief that I carried around that we weren't allowed to stay there forever. Like neither of us was Swiss and we're Americans. We're supposed to come back home at some point. It just sort of seemed like go get that out of your system and then get on with your life was the playbook that I was following. And Now that I did leave and wish I hadn't in many ways, not in all ways, but in many ways, um, you know, that that wasn't necessarily true. Like we we could have just done what we wanted to do. But there was so much family pressure. I think that was the biggest piece for me was I really felt torn and I really felt like I was disappointing my family and I felt that my children needed to have a relationship with them. And and I also, you know, I was very taken with this idea of, you know, having a really cute house and having a yard and having that outdoor space for the kids. I mean, we were in a really urban situation. We didn't even have a balcony. We had great parks and stuff, just, you know, two, three, five minutes walk away, you could get to the lake. But we didn't have you know, a lot of that stuff from my own childhood. And I think that I thought that we were supposed to have those things too. So it was, it was complicated and it, it ended up being kind of a, an impulsive choice. Like this opportunity popped up and it seemed so great. And we're like seeing all these people around us do that all the time. You know, expats are always coming and going and leaving and, and sometimes it's very quick. And it's like, when the opportunity is there, you seize it. And I think if people are going to make a move and they're not necessarily on an expat package where it's not their choice, I think they have to really take a lot of time and 
think about it from all the areas of their life, not just necessarily finances and career. And I think we allowed ourselves really to just lead on finances and career. And I regret that. Well, and I think, too, with the family stuff, I mean, it's just such a different situation moving abroad as, you know, two people who are kind of aligned in in what they're looking for out of this next step in life. Right. And then you are then in the situation where you're about to have not just one, but two kids. And then you're having all these questions about, right, like what is their life going to look like? You just you just have so many different questions that you have to ask yourself. And exactly. um, I think it kind of felt like well, A, we can't stay here forever because that's just unreasonable. B, the pressure's on from everybody at home to return. C, here's a great opportunity. It just kind of like tipped it over. Yeah, if this was, like as if that job opportunity especially was was a sign, you know, like if you're waffling back and forth, should we go back, should we not? And then all of a sudden the opportunity comes, then can very much seem like, oh, well, then here we go. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's kind of what happened. And how long have you guys been back now? So it's been five years now. How does it feel now? Right now, it feels much, much better. I I feel like for the first time since we came back, we're just kind of settled and everything is stable and operating and routine the way you want life to be with little kids, you know? So so that's really good. And our son turns five next week. Oh. But the, you know, the first year was just a complete maelstrom of chaos and emotions and difficulty. And it really did blindside me too. I didn't expect it to be so severe because I had moved back and forth a few times. You know, I'd had the year in Neuchatel and come back and that was fine. Looking back to when I was a kid though, I do see now how difficult it was for me to leave Dublin. Um, I can recognize it now as an adult looking back, even though at the time, of course, I didn't have the wherewithal as an eight-year-old to describe (laughs) that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then the second year, so the opportunity we came back for was in the Midwest. And then it just became clear right away that it wasn't going to pan out the way we had hoped. And so then we were like, okay, what do we do? Do we just go back to Switzerland? We were looking at jobs like we could just go straight back. Then we kind of looked all over the U.S. And then we just decided, you know, let's regroup near family. And so we came here. And I think that was a really good choice because my mom is here and my kids are really close with her now. And at the time, both of my sisters were here. My brother lives in New York, so he's not nearby. But then I have aunts and uncles and cousins here. And I was I was craving that for my kids. And so they have those connections now. You know, we've been here for four years now. And That's been really good. But I mean, it's all just been kind of complicated. Like it really took a lot of time of saying, "Okay, whoa, (laughs) you know, we had this like sweet little life. It just seemed like we were going to take a step up and then that didn't happen. We sort of like crashed and burned on this move. And then we sort of felt like, "Okay, now it feels like we're back at square one because the time that we spent abroad like didn't help us career wise. So we're trying to play catch up with all of our peers. That was a really horrible feeling. And then we decided, hey, you know what? We're going to get out of Montessori because there wasn't a lot of upward mobility or like space to grow in that overseas. 
Whereas with the international school system, we had met a lot of people who worked in international schools and there was just a lot more structure and room to like grow and the protocol is more established and the hierarchy is more established, you know, for better or worse, there's a lot more organization going on. And so we just thought, well, if we're ever going to go abroad again, we'll get into that and, and go that direction. And I feel like I'm kind of rambling. It's not making any sense at this point. No, but yeah, no. so <laughs> I'm happily along <laughs> for the ride because I think it is all of these. I, there's so many big level choices that get made from things like, you know, switching from one type of school to another. And I I don't know. I think about a lot about in so many ways, these tiny little seemingly insignificant steps along life are the ones that end up having the most impact. And so but then if you're trying to make a change, how do you make that happen like what are the little things that you should be latching onto and which one should you let go of and it's confusing and complicated so (laughs) oh you totally get it this is so refreshing yes (laughs) yeah okay so I'll keep going then yeah no I'm like whoa am I just way out in left field here um (laughs) well I think also a lot of times it does feel that way where you're like oh you think the things that you'd be like you know more focused on would be the more the way that the country is built the way society functions and all this and that is really important but also at the end of the day it's your day-to-day that's what life is so these little things do impact you. Yes. So when we first got back to Spokane, my husband, so he already had a master's in education and so did I with our Montessori certification, but we didn't have public school teaching certification. So he went and got that. Public school hiring is really weird. So in the spring, we were expecting that he would get something for the coming fall. And he didn't because it does not work that way in the public school. You probably won't get hired until August. You know, a lot of people are getting hired the weekend before school starts. It's just nuts. So at that point, we were like, well, we've got to have something, you know, we've gone through like two years of having tiny kids and him being back in school and me barely working. Like it was like, no, we can't keep doing this. So he got a job offer in Switzerland and we're like, we're going to go back. And it was a Montessori job, but we're like, maybe we'll try to evolve from there. And it's, it's just like you were saying, like, you're just kind of making all these little decisions because it kind of can feel like jumping from lily pad to lily pad, especially with kids. Cause you're like, we got to like be responsible and set ourselves up. Like you can't just kind of wing it anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that job, the school, when they submitted the work permit application, they didn't do it right. I, I looked at all the paperwork later and I was like, oh, geez, you know, I I would have denied this too. So it got denied. And oh, no. that Yes. And so Uh, that was in 2017. And honestly, you know, it felt like we had just been holding on and wishing and waiting and wanting for like two solid years. And then this thing fell through. And it was awful. Because we'd already had felt like the ground had sort of fallen out from under us just from the reentry shock and the disappointment of that opportunity not panning out. And then this happened. We're just like, oh, no. Jeez. So we had already given notice on the little house we were renting. So we had to move out of there. But then they wanted to do an appeal. So they put in an appeal and it took an entire month. Then that got denied, too. During that whole time, my husband was frantically applying for jobs and then 
literally in the space of three days after that appeal got denied and it was done and over, he got a job. We got a great rental. And then our daughter got into the neighborhood school for the rental, which was incredible because it's actually the school that I went to for kindergarten and first grade (laughs) and my mom. So that's kind of fun and my sisters and everybody. But um, yeah, so that was like this like triple miracle. I kid you not because the rental market was so, so tight. Like I think there's less than 1% vacancy rate. And so to get it like in the zip code we wanted to get her into the school for him to get a job, like it was just sort of incredible. And so we're like, whoo, you know, but, but we still didn't feel settled because so much turmoil, you know? And then that spring, then we're still kind of gazing outward and saying, well, we still want to go abroad. And then, and then we had some offers, like we had um, offers in Germany and in Switzerland and it just something didn't quite feel right when you're going through all this stuff and you're so disoriented and you're so you're just in the survival mode for so long you just hit this point where you're exhausted yeah. <laughs> so then we're like okay do we want to go back to teaching montessori just to be in zurich because like you were saying earlier all of the functioning of the country and you know, all of these big grand pieces, they matter a lot. But then you just have to think about your day to day. I was like, ah, I just, I really want to be there more than anything, except I don't think I want that day to day. And I've got to be honest with myself. Like, I really don't enjoy teaching preschool. Like, I think the reason I did it in the first place was so I could move abroad. Then we had to have this real moment of like reckoning, like, geez. And then the job offer that my husband had in Berlin was great for him, but it was like, what was I going to do? I just kind of thought, geez, what do we want for our family? What do we want for our kids? What do we want long-term? What do we want our day-to-day to look like? Where do we want to be in five or 10 years? You know, we started asking ourselves all of those questions, which we probably should have been asking ourselves like when we first got to, but you know, we were just like adventurous and having a great time. So yeah, then we just said, no, you know, we're going to stay. And then I decided to go back to school to become a school counselor. And then we'll be like this bona fide teaching couple for the international <laughs> schools. So I finished that in May 2021. And then we we plan to go abroad again then. So it's kind of interesting because when I look back on Zurich, I regret not riding that wave like all the way to the end. I regret like jumping off and being like, I think there's a better wave over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I feel like with this wave, it was like we were all set up. We're in the right neighborhood, schools, jobs, like we had this good thing going and the kids were close to family. I'm like, we're going to ride this wave out and then we'll do the next thing. And then we'll really be set up for like longevity. This sounds like you'll also have a much better feeling of when to press the brake versus when to press the gas versus, yeah, like you were saying, just hopping wave to wave. Like now when you do get to go and you get to that point, assuming you do choose to move abroad, then you'll know that you're doing it with like the full conscious or whatever level of full consciousness of that choice one can have, you know what I mean? Versus, and and now you can also say that you have midlife work back in the States. Because, you know, if you had stayed in Zurich and, and ridden that wave out, then you might've had that lingering doubt of, oh, but am I, you know, 
missing out on, on having my kids build these relationships? Am I missing out on this and that? And, and that's not good to live with either. Exactly. It kind of feels like once you're an expat, like you just can't win because no matter where you go, you're missing someone or something somewhere. Yeah. I just went back to the States for a couple of weeks to visit. Whenever I go back, I, I try to play in my mind, you know, pretend that this is the beginning of you moving back. How does that feel? So I can kind of check in with myself if that's a thing that I'd be wanting or not. And Mm -hmm. already I've only lived abroad for two years, but I'm like, no, like I just feel really disconnected from a lot of parts of myself while I am in the States. There's something that's off about it now. I can't just be happy there because I know this other part of myself and then I come back and it's great. But that also at some point in the next couple of months, I'm sure I'm going to get that wave again of like, oh, man, I'm really missing something about my American side. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, so what's the solution? Because <laughs> what? <laughs> I know it's so complicated. And even just thinking about doing this interview with you, I kind of really got into that frame of mind of like, wow, what would it be like if we were to go back? What would that be like. And sometimes I'm able to sort of access that place that you're talking about where you're just sort of feeling a little bit out of place or feeling like something is missing. But then I get that here all the time. I think what's different now is that I've just accepted it. I'm like, you know what? I don't really fully fit in here anymore. That's okay. Have you found a way to bring in and bring up in conversation your time in Switzerland in a way that it is accepted by the people you're talking with? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) I've just, you know, at first you're trying to hold on to it so much because it's so relevant and it's so still a part of your every fiber of your being. And then over time, you learn not to talk about it. And that's really painful at first because it hurts. And then as time goes on and you do start to sort of grow and move past all of those things, like I guess at this point, I feel like I never talk about my life in Zurich with my family or really any friends. And I And I don't talk about my plans to move back with people either, like, (laughs) which just makes me laugh because I'm like, hey, Nicole, go ahead and broadcast all this to the world. (laughs) But I can't see you. They won't listen. Okay. Um, (laughs) So they really don't know that this is part of like the long term plan. You know, I don't think so. And I think that that's what felt really good about this plan for me, too, though, was that (laughs) it could go either direction, like you said. Like, we are set up. We have proven that we can figure it all out in the U.S. If I finish this program and we are in a place where we just decide we want to stay, like, that'll be fine. And we'll be able to buy a house and have a really good life, you know a good standard of living. I don't necessarily think the American quality of life will ever satisfy me because people are so busy and they work too much. And there's so much emphasis on success and wealth equals success. And what you do to make money is your identity. I don't like all of that. But yeah, I mean, you just get to this point where you, you stop talking about it and then gradually it sort of recedes. And then it just sort of seems to like almost disappear. Like, I've completely let Zurich go at this point, which I never thought would happen. And it's it's actually been a pretty recent development. But I really have. And, and I don't even know 
that there's that much there for me anymore, even though I'm still in touch with my close friends there. Uh, I mean, who knows what that would be like either, because our kids were like two, three years old when I left. And now all of our kids are seven and eight years old. And that's really different. You know, when I graduate from this master's in school counseling, my husband and I have talked about it quite a bit. And we're both really open to whatever ends up being the best option. Of course, we'd love to go right back to Zurich. But if that doesn't work, we'd love to go to Germany or, you know, even the Middle East or Asia, like we could just go have like another big family adventure. And some of those places you can save quite a bit of money, you know, so Uh there are like, there are lots of things that could happen and lots of options. And I'm trying not to be attached to a particular outcome. Are, are there things in your day to day that were really hard to readjust to when you moved back? Definitely driving. I really don't like that I just have to drive everywhere. And I hate that exercise is something that I have to schedule and make time for and oftentimes drive to. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is actually a that. huge pet peeve of mine. Yep. <laughs> And then just this sense of just not having as much time. And I don't know if that would be the same there anyway, because now I have two kids instead of one. And But it just seemed like our life was so much simpler and it feels more complicated now. Oh, I do miss being out in public. I don't feel like I'm necessarily out in public every day here. And going to the grocery store isn't the same as like, walking down the street and walking past the post office and being at the tram stop and, you know, the pharmacy. And like, there were just people on the street everywhere. And you were constantly around people, even if you weren't interacting with them there. And here, I feel like you're just completely isolated most of the time. Because here, we don't have any reason to go anywhere. We can fire up the barbecue and just be outside. And it's great, except that we're just kind of all alone. Yeah, and then it's weird, too, because you're like, well, it's not necessarily that I was talking to these people or, like, interacting with them. It was just kind of like this feeling of having others around you. It's kind of nice sometimes. It really is. It gives me this, like, nice sense of security. Yeah. So with that, then we are going to round the corner and head to home with our ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round. So I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Okay. All right. (laughs) What is your go-to insider tip when people say, hey, I'm going to Zurich. Where should I go? Ooh, definitely to the bodies. So there are all of, it's Strandbad in high German, but there are all of these public bathing facilities. So some of them are like a beach, some of them are more like built up along the river, like a bathing house, but they are all completely amazing. There's the Frauenbad, which is just for women only. Um, And they're just all around the lake and you pay an entrance fee and they're gorgeous and you can swim and they're open in the evening. You can sit and have a drink and they'll have DJs and it's the best. Number two, what German or Swiss German word or phrase has stuck in your mind the most? Gipfully? That's the Swiss German word for a croissant. <laughs> Gipfully. <laughs> I know. That's cute. Yeah. And number three, where is the best playground that you went to? Hmm. 
definitely down by the lake at the China Garden. There's a really cool playground. It's a it's a little bit for older children, honestly, but it has a cool sandbox, sand pit thing with water. So my daughter loved that. And then it has really big swings. And I loved it. Like I would just go on those swings and get going. So <laughs> it was so thrilling. So that sounds so fun. <laughs> Well, good. Thank you very much. Those were your Zach, Zach, Zachs. And before we wrap up, do you want to tell people where they can find you? And actually, it hasn't come up yet. So, so tell us about what you have done with all of these confusing, complicated thoughts and topics about repatriating. Yeah, so I am a blogger and a podcaster. And in Zurich, I wrote the blog Swiss Lark, which was just all about our nice little life there. And then when I came home, I didn't know what to do with it. So I sort of abandoned it for a year. And then it became more of a recovering expat or repat blog. And then I was, I really, really, really struggled with repatriating and I couldn't find any good resources. And I always wished I had a podcast to listen to about other people going through the same thing. And so I found one called Two Fat Expats, but they just, it was like, they're different. They're kind of in the Middle East. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking for, but they did have a few episodes on repatriation. And I was like, gosh, I want more of this. So I just decided to do it myself. So I started a podcast called Expat Repat. I interview people about their experience of moving home after living abroad. So, you know, not just Americans, like I interviewed a German who had lived in the U.S. for five years. And um, it's been really nice. It's been really therapeutic. And I get emails from people quite often that it's really helping them. And that was my main goal. I feel like I went through all those struggles alone. And so to have people say that it's helping them like really makes my day. And you do such a good job with it. I think, I mean, you're totally right that this is a whole separate genre of the expat conversation that I think it is being had, but less loudly, I I guess, you know, and I, I mean, I'm not even experiencing that myself, but I'm, you know, I have friends that go through that too. And I think it's just so wonderful to be able to just point people your way and say, look here, it's great. Go enjoy. (laughs) So on behalf of us all, thank you. you. Thank you for doing it. It's wonderful. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I'm really touched truly because yeah, it is kind of the dark side of expat life and people kind of don't want to talk about it because it is scary. But then when you're going through it, you need support. You need to not feel alone. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, Perfect. And thank you again for taking the time um, behind the scenes info. It's currently like seven or was seven in the morning when we started recording. And I know you've a long day ahead of you. So thanks for squeezing us in. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks one more time to Lindsay for coming on to the Expat Cast. As promised, I've linked to her blog as well as her wonderful podcast, the Expat Repat Podcast, all in the show notes. There you can also find links to our social media, so you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at the Expat Cast. While you're on those phones, I would love it if you would take a moment to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show out so much. You would not believe it. And I would love to hear some more feedback, hear what you're loving, hear what you want more of. 
thanks as always to Gordon Eisenach, my partner in podcasting and in life, and to Amy Lungi Art for the logo. Thanks also to Sidehug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram too at a hug from the side. Next Thursday, we'll be back in your feeds to talk about integration and this funny German phrase, Leute mit Migrationshintergrund, people with a background of migration. Because why make it a simple short word when you can make it a long, complicated German word? <laughs> Until then, have a wonderful week. Bis dann. Tschüss.